Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. I've been with Calvary Chapel since 71, and uh, there's just one then, and watched it grow, and, and so you get a lot of friends and a lot of relationships in a lot of these churches, And but the, uh, so you go places, you're introduced all sorts of ways, but I think to me, the, the last night, um, Craig and Rob and Rick and, and myself and our wives, we had dinner together, and, and they were very sweet. They went around and uh, shared kind things about us, and, and uh it, it, it would only took about 45 seconds, but it was very nice. No, it was actually it was a wonderful evening together, but you realize what family is and what it means to you, uh, particularly the older you get. When you're young, you know, you've got your life, you've got your plans, you've got your job, you've got to get, got to get the house, the car, you, you know, whatever you got to do, get the kids in school or do all these projects, projects, projects. And, and uh, all of them are just, you wake up every day and you got another day in front of you and responsibilities and things. But as time goes on, you really find yourself at least subconsciously assessing what is really precious and, and valuable to you through life. And it ends up to be family, of course. We've, we've got uh, three sons. We've got 13 grandchildren. We've got four great-grandchildren. And just found out uh, a few weeks ago we got a fifth great-grandchild on the way. And you look at this, and, uh, and it is so incredible to you. And, and, uh, and I think when you look around and you realize brothers, you know, I, I were, there's Rick over here. You guys aren't getting along. They, they, Craig's got this side. Rick's got that. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but it's just uh, all these guys have been with me at, at, at different times, and it's, it's just wonderful. But if you would turn to Acts chapter 1. And I want, we have two sessions. We'll have a session, then uh, we'll break, I guess, in there, and then they'll bring us back together. But uh, something that, uh, as we look, and I think you notice anybody that's ever picked up the Bible at all and has any familiarity with the early church, has any familiarity at all with the disciples, now apostles, you realize about them uh, that, uh, that here was a group of men that they believe something powerfully. No other way to look at it, you know, in a sense. You know, but now on one hand, we live in a world today that, that a lot of people believe stuff powerfully. Uh, that, uh, and, and as a result of it, and because of the, uh, the spectrum upon which those beliefs are, the world has become very active, very uh, uh, intense, uh, you know, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, battles going on in every sense of the word. Uh, moral, uh, spiritual, uh, political, I mean, they're endless, you know, on all the different battles, things that are going on, the stress that there is virtually almost with anybody and everybody. You go to work, and there's there's a new le level of battles almost just in the neighborhood. You know, you almost have to watch what you say around your neighbors, you know, in a sense, do you have the time to go explain yourself all day, you know, or whatever as you get in, in things, and, and it's a very intense world. People that were almost very simple and many things, the simplicity is kind of gone 
away. And uh, uh, there, but when you look here at the the early church, you see their world was not really that much different than ours. Uh, but one of the things we're seeing in our day and our age, like even the Bible tells us, we're told very clearly in the last days that men will be calling evil good and good evil. We are li literally looking and watching people in massive numbers, things that have always been evil. That, you know, I see enough gray hairs here. We, we grew up in a world where, you know, life was very simple. You know, you're a boy or you're a girl. You know, it was not a difficult thing at all. It was just, hello, you know, what else are you thinking? You know, I mean, you know, with it. And, but the, uh, other than the only thing we, if we weren't a boy or a girl, we, we were Superman or Batman or somebody else. But that was just our dream life. But nobody ever, that was kind of the world. Well, we're looking at things where people have dug in profoundly on calling evil good. And, uh, and where anybody that is good, historically, is now evil. And you look here at the intensity of what has happened, and I don't need to recall these things to you or get in any depth on them, but you look at the intensity, essentially, of the, uh, of the homosexual you know, world going on. You look at black lives, uh, you know, issues and, and racial things going on all over. Everything's racial now. No matter what you do, it's somehow or another, it's, it's, it's racial. You look at the whole transsexual thing and now, you know, all the pronouns and how your, you know, people are to be addressed or you can somehow or another, that, that'll be a, you know, somehow or another a hate speech if you call, you know, a man a man somehow or another pretty soon. Just wait, you know, for this. I mean, we're, we're setting the stage more and more. And again, we can't even define a woman anymore, uh, you know, with things at the highest levels, you know, of, 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 of government. Uh, they, they, they can't uh, define it. You, you look here, I mean, the, the abortion issue has been a, quite an issue for, for many years, of course, going back into the 60s, but that has intensified perhaps more than ever and becoming more and more violent. Of course, then in the process of it, we wanted to fund the police. That's intense. You look then at the issues with drugs going on, fentanyl, deaths that are happening. We're looking, of course, at crime. Uh, looking here at all the illegal immigration that is going on, I guess pretty soon. What are they, I, I, they're opening the gates? I guess. <laughs> Why do I don't know what's, what's going on? I thought they already were open, but the uh, but you look at the you know what's going on within uh, the immigration. We watch inflation out of control, energy prices. You look at Ukraine. You look at Russia. You look at China. You look at Taiwan. Uh, you look at all of these things and you just realize it's like on absolutely every front. Uh, there are battle lines and there are people that believe things with incredible intensity. It's not just simply, well, I think or I feel. It is they, they, they almost violently think, you know, what they, what they feel and with an intensity that never seen before, I think. And, uh, and, and, and. More and more, we're living in a world where there's very precious little room, you know, for people almost with deep spiritual convictions. It's like behind all of this, anybody that has, a, has spiritual convictions within their life as to who they are, we have become more and more the enemy. More and more, it's become more and more, they've been narrowing it down. What's the real problem? And what's the real problem in America? And well, we're coming down to the real problem in America you know, is, uh, are the godly, the Christians, 
they're they're beginning to narrow it down more and more and and more. It's it's it's, it's Christians, and speaking openly about it, uh, and and how 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 bad this is. You know, to me, I, I kind of observed. I lived up in the Bay Area for eleven years, and uh, when I was up there, when when I was down in Southern California, there's always been the conservative and the liberal mindset and I understood I thought what they kind of were but I never saw how radical it was till I moved up and you live up in the Bay Area and uh, you realize that the, the the great difference in a sense you know between the liberal because the liberal is somebody that basically they they believe in just no, there's nothing wrong with man fundamentally there's nothing wrong with him you just liberate the soul just let a person be a person whoever they are just be it you know, and let what business of yours, you know, what they like or don't like or who they want to live with or sleep with or behave with or whatever it is. They're just being who they are. There's nothing wrong with him. Why? And, you know, and, and so they all the liberals, it's interesting, all the, they all get along, you know, somehow or another. And but the only person that they really despise almost is the conservative that looks and says, you know, something you're wrong. Because essentially the conservative mindset believes there's something wrong with man. And the conservative mindset is one that historically, I mean, there's a lot, John Wayne, radical, very strong conservative, but not a Christian, just a conservative. But there's massive numbers. And in, in, I've been a police chaplain for 40 some odd years. A lot of, most police, very conservative, you know, uh, people. And may not be Christians at all, but they're conservatives. And the conservative mindset, they believe in it. We want a strong military. We want a strong penal system. We want strong government. We want penalties. We want a, you know, prison system. We want something that that when people behave behave wrong, we deal with it and uh, we correct it, whatever it is. Because essentially, at the root of it, the conservative knows there's something wrong with man, and if you don't regulate him, he'll self-destruct. Where the liberal says, no, just leave us alone. So the only person the liberal really dislikes is the conservative that says, there's something wrong with you. And that eats away at them. Yeah, something terrible. It's called conviction. But the, uh, the thing is, is that here more and more we're watching this parallel, you know, people are getting solidified into whatever they are. More and more intensive. Whatever they maybe were casual about, there's little room for that anymore. There used to be when I was a kid, and a lot of us, you know, there's always been the conservative and the liberal and the Republican and the Democrat. And the conservative Democrat or the, or the, the blue dog Democrats. And, the, you know, they, and there, there's a lot of gray area. And, and then there's the black and white. And now we live in a world where there's very little gray area anymore at all. It's either all black or white. One side or the other of, of the thing. And by the way, when I said black and white, I was not being racial. I was just talking different colors. <laughs> but the, but the, the thing is, is that at, at, we, we look back here at, at the early church and you realize that here we have a group of people there up that are in the upper room is where we find them here in the book of Acts. And we find them with incredible convictions. We, you know, and, and in a sense, you would look at it, and basically, <laughs> they were somebody that I suppose you know, just deep, deep convictions, and something that they were, were actually quite fanatical about. You end up there's 120 people up there initially there in the upper room who ended up turning the world upside down, and or right side up, depending on how you want to analyze it. But it's something there that they seem to really believe that the world was more desperately than ever looking for people that were radical believers in something. 
that while uh, that the, the world was hungry for somebody that was incredibly, incredibly committed to a truth, that they had something that they believed, and they would believe this as powerfully as anybody has ever believed anything at all. There was something about them about what they believed in that upper room there. They had no more flexibility about it than the man on the moon. They were somebody, they, they believed in this as much as they believed in the law of gravity. This was something as much as they knew the sun rose in day and the moon was out at night. There, the God, he was the creator of the universe. And there was no flexibility about that within them at all. God had sent his son into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, and then that was God. That was God's son. And uh, God's love was the most powerful, real truth ever. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he came to forgive sins. And that was as sure as anything that any human could ever believe. And you realize then that they were absolutely convinced. You could call it dogmatism, fanaticism, legalism, zealous. I don't think it could care less. Put any word on it. Fine. We are. We'll take that label. And uh, there was somebody that they, because they looked, if there was anything worth being dogmatic about, fanatical about, radical about, having, you know, dramatic about, it was the fact that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And they believed that as powerfully as anybody believed anything. And they believed that God was about a work and who he was. He was loving. He was powerful. He was majestic. He was glorious. And it was proven incredibly by his dying on the cross to save the world from their sins. And God wanted us to be with him forever and ever so desperately there that he'd raise him on a cross, lay all the sins of all the world of all time upon him that any who would ever believe in him would have everlasting life. They would go home to be with him forever and ever for all of eternity. Not just a day, a week, a month, or a nice little vacation or a little nicer life while you're here. They didn't care about anything here. They looked there and they realized eternity is eternity. Forever is forever. This is, just a, this is just a vapor. This is a flash in the pan. Who cares about this? And as far as they were concerned, this was the greatest truth that there ever was. There was no truth anywhere near this. And to them, it was an extremely well-proven truth. We're told here in Acts 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day that he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, and being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And here with many infallible proofs, 40 days. Could you imagine? After the resurrection of Jesus, he takes a group aside, you know, there the, and, and, and gives them a short little six weeks Bible school with him every day after the resurrection to share with him. He didn't, and interestingly enough, he didn't care about the Sanhedrin. He didn't care about anybody else. You know, to me, that's, that's where, yeah, I mean, I always thought, Jesus, you missed such a great opportunity, Jesus. You know, why didn't you? I, you know, to me, you know, there's so, I've, I've given the Lord so much advice over the years, never taken any of it. But I did, why, why didn't you just go down to the Sanhedrin? They're in a huge party. They just killed you. You're in the grave. They settled that, this huge division, this heresy, you know, you know, the way initially to become the Christianity. But here as they, you know, were so rejoiced, I just would love to go down and interrupt their party. Little knock on the door. I'm a hey, open the door, and there, and Jesus standing there. Said, How you doing? 
having a nice day, you guys? You know, give me, could you, Lord, what an opportunity. You blew it. You know, or something. No. He just wanted to be with those who loved and believed. I know he will take care of all of those other people. I want to know who you are. I want to know who they are. I want to know who mine are, who my family is. Who's with me? Who's convinced? Who's that? They'll take care of any publicity campaign later on in their lives. I'm taking them aside. I'm pouring my life into them these next 40 days before I go. But being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Now here you've got to look at them. Here you've got a group of men. They had spent three and a half years with Jesus. He's telling them, don't go anywhere. Just wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Spirit of God to come upon you. And now you think they're from, <laughs> if ever there's a group of people ready to go, I mean, ready to go now at this point after the resurrection, and then they're looking now at all of this, it's all coming together. Jesus had even, you know, told, opened up the scriptures to them. But here they had walked with Jesus for three years. They'd been with him day and night. They'd seen him from absolutely every possible angle any human being could explore and experience another human being. They'd seen him with their eyes. They had heard him with their ears. They'd handled him with their hands. They watched his miracles. They watched him walk on water, still the, sore, the, the, the storms. He multiply loaves and fishes. There is he healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, sight to the blinds, hearing to the deaf. The lame could walk, forgive sins, and wherever he went, masses of people had their lives transformed forever. John wrote in 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and with our hands have handled with the word of life. For this life was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness and we showed unto you eternal life. That which was with the Father was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you and that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. Here, John, later on, here on one hand, you've got to look and realize these men now, if ever anybody had deep convictions, believed something powerfully, who had been with Jesus three years, saw all of this, watched him die on the cross, knew he laid in a tomb, rose from the dead. Now he's back before them. He had even you know, opened up the scriptures to them. There are now the finest Bible teachers, no doubt, in the world. They no doubt have the deepest convictions that any human being in one sense could ever have on them. But Jesus said, that's not the point. That's not the point. He says, don't you go anywhere until you receive the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. In other words, I didn't hear. I, I, I'm not here just to give people convictions. I'm not just here to change your philosophy or belief system or your theology. I'm here to be one with you. I'm here to share my life with you. That's why, that's my destination above all else. That's why John, he wrote, you know, later he says, with that which we have seen and heard and handled the word of life, we declare. He was manifested unto us, but he says, that which we have seen and heard and we declare unto you that we have fellowship with him, that you and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, that you may also have fellowship with us. Who's us? The Father and the Son and the rest of us. In other words, here he said the, the ultimate thing was not just simply a philosophic adjustment in life and a greater identity or purpose or any of that. The ultimate thing is, is God wanted to get back into the heart of men. 
He wanted it to fill us with his love, his presence, his life, to share his life with us. That's what Jesus said. Don't you go anywhere until I get back in you, until I get in your heart, your life. You know, they spent three and a half years watching him, being with him, seeing all of this. But he says, I didn't, I didn't come here to, to be a dog and pony show. I didn't come here. You know, and he said, wow, you can't believe what we saw and heard for three and a half years. I came to get into your life. I came to take over. I came to be your personal Lord and Savior. I came to share heaven with you, not just simply someday. And if you truly want it someday, then you'll want it now. And it's yours now. But I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Then you'll be prepared to reveal me to the world. Then you can declare that your fellowship is indeed with me. And now, I, you know, I believe no doubt to me, as exciting as it was to be with Jesus for the three and a half years, it was far more exciting to be with him afterwards. Because now, every, for every three and a half years, he got up every day and where he went, if you wanted to see what he was going to do, you followed him. Where is he going to go? What's he going to say? What's he going to do today? Wow. Unbelievable. And every day was a new experience, a new revelation, a new thing. But every day Jesus is still in one body and you're still in yours. But now he's looking there and he says, but what's, what's going to happen here? What I want you to wait for is I'm going to go to heaven so I can get out of this body and live in yours. In the life that I live, I live in you. I'll share with you. And hear that when that, that's, that's God's plan. That's his destiny. Paul before King Agrippa. You want to see conviction, Acts 26. He's telling him his testimony. He says, whereupon I was on Damascus with authority and commissioned from the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above and the brightness of the sun shining round about me and with them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is it hard for thee to kick against the goats? And I said, who art thou, Lord? <laughs> Can you imagine? Knocked off his high horse, flat out, blind. He doesn't know what's going on. Nobody can see what in the world just hit us. He hears a voice. Tired of fighting with me, fellow? And all of a sudden, he, I don't know who you are, but one thing I know. Who art thou, Lord? <laughs> Your Lord. That, that I know. I just been found a power in a life way beyond anything I ever dreamed that just hit me, and uh, and here he said he, he says it's hard for thee. He says, "Who art thou?" I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He looks at him, and if you could imagine this, his entire identity, and now been sworn over to take down this heresy, this group of div causing division within Judaism. And going off in, in, their, in their heresy and their lies and professing to follow this risen Lord. who I don't believe it all in a moment, all of a sudden, and I'm a believer now. But he said, I, and he says, but now you rise. And this I believe he'd love to say to every one of us. Rise, stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness of both the things which thou hast seen and of the things which will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee. And here's your mission, to open their eyes, 
to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of uh, Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, inheritance among whom then which are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, I, you're not just changing your identity and your philosophy and your theology. I'm changing who you are right down to the core of your being. This is why you're alive. This is why you exist. And you look here at these disciples, and you look here at the Apostle Paul, and then innumerable others, but, but you want to look at somebody who believed. And, the, you know, and, and to me, it's always an important question to stop. What do you believe? What do you believe? And, do you, and how much do you believe it? You know, I don't believe we have any real reason to live until we've found something we're dying for. A lot of people, you know, they got a great job. Would you die for your job? Well, I'm not going to die for my job. Hey, did you see my new car? Man, it's awesome. Would you die for it? No. <laughs> no. Would you die for it? No, no, no. You know, I mean, you talk about this. People, oh, man, you got to have this new cake down at the, the bake shop. Oh, it's to die for. Really? You know, I mean, people talk like this. But do you have anything? You're not ready to live until you have something to say, I would die for that. I'm willing to die for that. And you want to know if these men were willing to die for it. Between what we know of history and tradition. Stephen, Paul had him stoned on the streets of Jerusalem. James, John's brother, he was beheaded for preaching Christ in the temple. Matthias was tied to a cross, draped in molasses and eaten by vultures. Jude Thaddeus was crucified and shot to death with arrows. Nathaniel was skinned alive and crucified in double agony. Philip was hanged from the columns of the great temple. Andrew was crucified in Egypt. Matthew was beheaded in Alexandria. Mark was dragged to death behind a chariot. Luke was crucified in Acacia by Rome for preaching Christ. James Alpheus was thrown from Herod's triple temple. Thomas was speared with a mob. Simon the Zealot was sawn in pieces alive. Paul was beheaded in the Appian Way. Peter, who was forced to watch his own beloved wife crucified on Vatican Hill, and through her agony he cried to her, Oh, remember Christ. Remember Christ. Peter, who felt unworthy to die as his Lord requested to be crucified upside down, which was granted to him. And if you want to look around and see, you know, when some people say, I'll believe in your, in your, your, your Christ. I'll believe in him if you show me proof. Well, I'll tell you, you take of ordinary men and women who literally, and the list goes on, this is just the ones they started with, you know, who, who were crucified, torn apart, used as torches by, by Caesars and the things that they went, the lives that they lived, the, the persecution they have, some of them giving up their lives on their own crosses. But yet you look at them and you see them to the very end believing, worshiping, surrendering their lives. And to me, wouldn't you love, I hope you do, every one of us have something to believe in so deeply that you're not only willing to die for it, but more than anything, I'm willing to live for it as long as until I die. And if you don't have anything more powerful and wonderful than this, what is there? What truth is there that is greater than this? In our, in our commitment that we should have to, to live that and to share that passionately, 
we're sitting around the table, you know, having breakfast and got talking on various topics. But one of the things to me in my life and our obedience to Christ, it, you know, it's, we're never to, to do anything to assess the potential results of it. In other words, well, if I see it might work, I'll say something. If I see something that might be good coming out of it, I'm willing to do it. That's never the issue. The issue is never the issue of the consequences. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, none of them, you know, were, were anybody there that were to evaluate the success of their, mess, of their message. None of them, well, are they going to go for it? Are they going to believe it? No, their, their job was obedience. God takes the consequences. God's determined the outcome. Men make their plans if they're godly, but even then God says, I'll determine the outcome. Yours is in your neighborhood, in your, in your family, in your school, in your, it's your office. Wherever you are, what do you live for? Not to determine, oh, the, the outcome won't be good here. You know, it could not be a good one, so therefore we measure it. There's something we, we hold back and we call it wisdom <laughs> instead of lack of courage. Instead of somebody there, how deeply do I believe anything that I believe? You know, I, 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 many of you, you, you know, you know, my sons, I have three, they're all, I'm blessed unbelievably with them. But one of them, he took, you know, the church where I was at up in San Jose and pastors up there, COVID came and he shut down. I think Rob has probably, I don't know, shared some of this, I'm not sure. But the, uh, in there, when COVID hit, he decided, you know, they, they shut down immediately. Is this a pandemic? It's going to kill millions of people went overnight. And so after a couple of weeks, they realized, no. So he opens up the church, and, and well, there was a rider there from the San Jose Mercury News. They were out in the parking lot having a you know meeting in the parking lot, and, and, and here inside they they've got you know a hundred and some odd thousand square feet of facility. It's an, it's an enormous, and here they're told you can't meet in there. He decided we're meeting in there. We're going in. They need the word. I got to, this is my job. I got to do it. So they end up going, they say, we're going in. Well, this writer from the Mercury News was there listening to him in, in the parking lot that day and wrote an article, went on the AP. That afternoon, you know, it goes over in Fox News, had my number. They called me on the thing and uh, they said, hey, we're looking for your brother and we need to get in touch with him. And I said, really? I said, well, when you do, tell him hi for me. And he said, why? I said, well, I actually have two, but they're both in heaven. So when you get two, and it was Shannon Breen's program. Well, we're trying to, who's, who's Michael? That's my son. And they said, can we talk? And one thing led to another, and he did an interview. Next thing you know, everything came down on him. DA unloaded on him, started finding, 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 finding. They're there every day of the week, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, all the affiliates, newspapers are tearing him to shreds. Front page, tear, day after day, and just provoke more and more. He just, this is what I'm called to do. They end up fined, more fines, more fines, more fines. They literally would take the fines and tape them on, uh, on the window and on the glass. And they've got a huge foyer huge and they so they just deliver hey put them over here put them, so that literally the entire wall is filled with all these fines the fire department came you got to take those things down no they're okay no you have to they're a fire hazard so they had to take them down you got way too many but here he's called in and out of court back and forth back and forth and here is he as he's then finds himself that's just and the fines are going up you know by thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions it went up to 4.2 million and high, nothing like this in the country. They were target, They came after him full bore everything. But he just kept, 
This is what I'm called to do. Here they bring him into court, and he'd sit there, never let him say a word. They would just, did this happen, this happen, lay out the accusation. Yes, that's, that's probably true. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe it's a lie. Probably accurate. And all right, they're just more and more adding up. Finally, after about the fifth appearance, his attorney said, would you like to hear from the pastor? He said, I would. And so he goes to swear him in, and he sits down. They let him go for 50 minutes. 50, no interruptions. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And here as he just goes, and he starts quoting Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture. And he goes all the way through the Old Testament, the call of a shepherd, the responsibility of a shepherd, and, the, and to feed his, his sheep, to take care of them, to warn them. And then also the judgments against him and the condemnation if he doesn't do his job and their guilt is put on you because what you were called to do and you didn't do your job. I wonder how many of us, we're in the same category. God looks at us. What are you called to do? Did you do your job? No matter what the cost. And here it's just mounting and mounting and mounting. He goes on. And then he goes to the New Testament. And he's sharing all of this. And then he, he looks at him and he says, look, yeah, I know you guys, you, they're, they're waiting for him to get all this other world in, into and things. He just laid out very gently. You know, the, essentially there his call of God that was upon his life to be a pastor. Had nothing to do with any, he, judge your world and that, that's not my world. Here's my world and this is what I do. They let him go and after 50 minutes, he's quiet. And not a word. Judge stares at him. The attorneys that were killing him all the time, they wouldn't let anybody, the congregation was outside. They are like 300 people out singing. They wouldn't let him in. They were afraid, you know, they are going to start a riot. I don't know. But anyway, but they let me in because they thought I was part of the attorney's team. And then when I sat out in the gallery alone, the judge says, this is the pastor's father. And they said, you want to, is that okay? And the county said, yeah. So I sat and listened to all this. After this, the judge, speechless, he looks at him, and you could just see the conviction. You could see it on his face. Wait, it was probably only 10 seconds. I thought it was like a minute. Silence. He looked at him in the first words. He said, Pastor, I respect you. I respect you. He said, but unfortunately, he says, I'm an, you know, an officer of the court and we have laws that we've got to live by. He said, excuse me, judge, but this is not a law. This is a government mandate. I have a greater law. I hope you've understood that. You know, that, that, that guides my life. It has nothing to do with this world. It has to do with me before God as a shepherd and my responsibility to him. And he said, well, I, 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 he said, I, I'm a religious man myself. I wish my church was open. And he said, the higher courts will have to decide this. But they had actually been wanting to put him in jail. They'd done other things. He says, nobody's going to jail today. And there's no more fines today. I want you two to sit down and try to talk. Well, they've never been able to. County wouldn't do it. But the point is, is that we're ending up that your, 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 your job is to do your job. It's still far from over. They've won each time as they go on. It gets pushed on a little thing. There's a victory at a feet and back and forth. They know it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and they know the Supreme Court's answer already. But here, the issue is just do it, whatever it costs. You know, with it uh, that's going on, they've, they, the county, you know, I mean, they're not going to let up. We realize they, they've got deep convictions too. They've got deep, as much as a Christian has convictions, so do they. 
I had shared one time when that day I actually walked out, talked to the attorney, and she was brilliant. I'll have to give her that against them for the county. And she was well prepared on her things, and she would come in and tear them down with all the, you know, of her perspective. We came out of there. I asked her, can I talk to you for a few minutes? She said, yes. And so we stood there. And I said, I'd like to tell you about my son's mentor. And uh, he's a fellow named John Rogers. If you'd like to read about him, he's just my 13th, his 14th great-grandfather. He was born in 1500. And uh, initially he was a uh, Catholic. He went and he graduated uh, in Greek and Hebrew from Cambria. And, uh, and then after that, he hears about this fellow named Martin Luther down south. He goes to check him out. Don't know if he ever met him. You can read about him in a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. But in that, it's pointed out that he does run into a guy named William Tyndale who ended up translating the Bible when it was illegal. They caught him. And he was martyred, and uh, Rogers finished it. And uh, then he went and had it mass-produced in Switzerland. It was initially called the Thomas Matthews Bible. He named it after two of his own sons. But then when they realized, you know, that, and they brought it back, they changed the name to the Tyndale Bible. But, my, but I have a picture. My son's a great artist. He painted a picture of Rogers. He painted one for me in my house, and he painted one for him in his own house too. It's incredible. But I want you to know it has nothing to do with you. This has to do with who he is. And if you want to know if my son's willing to die, he's absolutely willing to die. The judge asked him, he says, you're willing to go to jail, aren't you? He says, yes. Yes, I am. And he wasn't being cocky, he wasn't being arrogant. This is just who I am. I don't care the cost. And you see, I think the world is looking for that. Amazingly, all this battle on and on and on about four weeks ago of all things, all things, the mayor of San Jose and the DA who signed the initial order came to church on Sunday morning, wanted to sit with him before, and they sat and apologized. Wait, and nothing has been done yet. The DA said, I signed that, and I didn't realize where it was going. We don't know what we can do with it because now the county health department has taken it over at their legal department and we're trying to do stuff. But here they're looking. They, they, they stayed for church. They had them stand up in church. I think they were hoping they wouldn't get stoned and the people applauded. <laughs> the people applauded, but there was something to have even your enemies speak well of you. And your business isn't what happens to anybody, your boss, your neighbor, your anybody. The issue is who are you and what do you believe? And what are you willing to, to give up for? What are you willing, regardless of whether, when and if it ever pans out to anything at all? That isn't your business. Your business is who you are and settling in on that. And you're nobody until you know that. You're nobody. But not only did they believe something powerfully, secondly, they loved someone passionately. You realize here when you look at them in verse 6, it says that when they were come together, they say, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Here, Jesus, they said, hey, you're leaving. You've been, what, you, you can't leave it. You left us before. We all know what happened. We scattered. We ran. We fell apart. Our lives rendered. We can never be without you again. Don't ever leave us. And here they're looking. They not only believed something powerfully, they loved someone passionately. They loved his presence. They loved his lordship. They loved his work and his life. They loved their involvement. 
And, uh, but you know, one of the things to me that, I, that I've noticed is that it, I think it's very possible for people to have beliefs that they believe powerfully, but they can fall short of passionately, of loving him passionately. I would imagine, I don't ask for a show of hands, I'm not kind of that type of a thing there, but I believe most, most here would say you could subscribe to all the things of historical biblical Christianity. I believe man is sinful. God is holy. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that man fell. I believe that God already prophesied he'd send his, world, his son into the world to die for us. I believe he came into the world. He took my sins upon himself, offered himself as a ransom for me. On the cross he died. He was buried. He laid in a tomb for three days. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he ever lives to, to make intercession for us and to present me faultless. I believe he's coming back for me. I believe he's going to take me home. I believe he's going to give me a new body like his own. I believe I'll live with him forever and ever in, you know, as, he, as he lives and reigns. But somehow or another you can believe all those things, but they, they, they fall short of passions. They, they fall short there. Of the, the, it's intellectually locked in. Yes, yes, yes. Check all the buttons. Yes, check, 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 check. Check it all. I'm all of that. But at the same time, their, their love, it falls short. Something there that ought to grip them of a deep love for the Lord. It falls short of capturing the passions above all else. And that's a sad thing. And, you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches. The church at Ephesus, the Lord tells them, he says, right. These things saith he that holds seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Thou canst not bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them and say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has had patience for my name's sake and has labor and has not fainted. Wow. That's an incredible church. I want to go to that church. I mean, you look here. I mean, I know you work, you labor, you're patient. You, you can't bear what's evil. You tried those that say they're apostles or not. You throw them out. You, you, you born, you labor, and you haven't fainted. You're still in it. You keep going. You're incredible. What a list of, of things. And he says, what a thing. But the next verse, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. He said, you forgot what it was all about. You forgot what the, whole, the whole message, the whole objective of all of these things. Everything that you teach and believe and live and gather for and have fellowship over it's that we can, that, that, that I love you. And, 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 and you loved me. The Lord looks at you loved me. You left it though. You've left it behind. And he says, therefore, he says, but remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do the first works. You know, the amazing thing that we all have is a mind, a memory. And I'm sure every one of you that it, as, a, as a Christian, you remember the day you were born again. You remember some of the sins being lifted, the forgiveness there, the acceptance, the guilt gone. There you remember a peace and a hope and a joy, the touching of the Spirit of God upon your life. 
The way you look there and you could say, Jesus, I love you. I, I get the first and the greatest commandment. Now thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. I do. But somehow or another, you can leave it. And now our Christian life becomes a responsibility. It becomes a duty. And oh, we're good at it. We carry it on. We're going to continue it. We're not walking away from that. But here the disciples, they were fearful of losing his presence. You can't leave us alone. But they not only believed something powerfully, they not only loved someone passionately, they lived expectantly. They found themselves there, it says in verse 12, they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is at Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into the upper room and they continued their abode, both Peter and James and John and Philip and Andrew and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. And they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all the brethren. But here they went and they sat, and Jesus said, don't go anywhere until I'm in your life until the reason I came is there. Until all of these other things, they're immaterial. You know, sometimes, and we, we, we're such interesting creatures. I've been married 54 years. And, I, and it's not hard where you end up, you know, you know, we spent so many years of our life, so many years, robbing Peter, paying Paul, moving here, moving that, adjusting this, you know, getting from the first to the fifteenth, did it for us, church. But just how do we how do we get? We're going to you know whatever you got to do. And, you know, we got to do this for the kids. Okay, you know, you know, hey, you know, hey, we got to get them to the dentist. Forget the dentist; they can buy their own teeth later. You know, or almost or something. I mean, what you know, what can we afford now? You know, what can we do? You know, almost just trying to get through and get through. And in the process of the whole thing, life and marriage and home can become a duty and a responsibility and a commitment that you honor. You honor it well. We've never been unfaithful to each other. We've never really been fighters. We've never been yellers or screamers. We've never, you know, been at odds. But we're at times we look at each other and what are we in this for? What are we doing all this for? And God says, remember your first love. He says, go back and do the first works again. That's the amazing thing. God said, do you remember? Do you remember when it was just you and me? Do you remember when it was just, I remember well my wife and I'd fall in love with her. We'd go sit in a greasy spoon restaurant, get a cup of coffee and maybe some little thing and sit there for hours staring at each other. Who are you? want to know you. All of this, I mean, now we had, there was nothing else. No, no kid, no job, no responsibilities, no bill, you know, I mean, all these other things that cluttered up life later on. There's just the woman sitting across. The, it was incredible. Well, I want to spend my life with you. I love you. I love you too. All right, let's go. And the next thing you know, you're piling on, piling on, piling on, adding, working, doing all this. And little by little, you can forget. What did you do it in the first place for? Why'd you do it? And you know, when there's, there's something there, when you find yourself there wanting an expectancy and realizing, Lord, I want to do the first works. I want. I want you to come upon my life. I want you. I remember. I remember. I'm not an idiot. 
I do remember. I'm just an idiot that I left it behind. In the, you know, you know, I have a book that uh, it's called What the Bible Teaches. It's written by a man named R.A. Torrey. And what makes the book so unique is there's a man named Charles Fuller who actually preached the gospel to more people in history until Billy had preached for 25 years. He had the old-fashioned revival on And this was his personal book, and it's filled with his notes from one end to the other. He used this for all of his studies. And, and, it's, and it was signed by R.A. Torrey, and it's signed by Charles Fuller. The book goes back to 1916. My brother had a whole bunch of books. He went to that seminary, and they gave him Charles Fuller. It became very dear to him. And Charles Fuller gave him a whole bunch of books. And in those books, you know, the, he, he then gave me a bunch. And in those books was this particular book. I saw this. I said, this is incredible. This is awesome. The, the binding was completely gone in it. And so I, you know, I realized I probably shouldn't have done it. But I, you know, now looking back, there's value of books. But I didn't care about that. I just loved the book, so I went and paid and had it rebound. One day, my brother is over at my house, and he's looking, and he opens this thing up, and he sees this. And he said, where did you get this book? I said, you gave it to me. He said, I didn't mean to give it to you. And I said, well, you did. And, he said, and I said, you gave me a box of books, you know, one time, and this was in it. And I thought, that's a good book. I use it. I read it. And he says, well, it's my book. I said, not anymore. <laughs> you gave the book to me. It's my book. I had it rebound. You did nothing for the book. I did something for the book. It loves me. It doesn't. I, it, you gave it away. It's hurt. So you offended the book. You know, and we kidded about it, but I did keep it. I still have it. And he's in heaven. He doesn't care about it anymore, I'm sure. But the point is, is that you can, all, you can be cleaning out a lot of things, and one day you're throwing out something. You didn't even realize. I never intended this to happen. I did not intentionally neglect you, Lord. I did not one day wake up and say, you know something, Lord, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. I just pressured you out. I just shoved you aside. I just put you in a box. I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. And you know, when we today, we can look and realize that, that's me. But the Lord says, hey, we can fix that. It's very fixable. It's called, do you remember? And we say, I remember, and I want it back. And I'm going to close this session in prayer in a minute. And I'm going to challenge you, men. Maybe if you're looking there and you realize, that's me. I don't care how, 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 how far you walked away or how much you forgot or how little you, much you've neglected or how much you find yourself there realizing, I, I, I do believe, but I, somehow or another, I don't believe at the office like I believe at church. You know, I, I, I bold here and free there. Praise the Lord, brother, you know, things. Go to the office, you know. Well, I, you know, hi, guys. You know, you're a Christian? Well, you know, uh, most of the week, you know, or something, or whatever almost. But when they're in realizing, Lord, all the way, every day of the week, wherever I am, wherever I am. And when that is, that's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand if that's you and you just realize, I, I, Lord, I, I remember. And I, want to, I just want just a fresh work of your spirit in my life today. I need it. That's why you brought me here. And if that's you, I want to invite you now to stand.
and we'll pray together. Any of you, and don't just do it because somebody else might be. That's not the issue. This is just this is just between you and him and your heart. Wherever it is, I remember. I remember. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you look at us and there's ever anything in anybody worth believing and loving. It's you. You're in another category. You're in a whole different world, a whole different dimension. There's nothing like unto you. But forgive us, Lord. We, we categorize you. We compartmentalize you. And, Lord, we just pray that we'll just ask you to help us destroy the categories and the compartments and and, Lord, give us clarity and boldness and freedom. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we remember. And, Lord, we thank you for the gathering together and having fellowship. And, Lord, it's not just something, oh, it's another men's gathering, another meeting, another thing. Oh, the guys are going to be there. They got a breakfast. I like the breakfast. But in all of that, that's all real. That's all wonderful. You want us to have all of it. That's part of the whole plan. But the centerpiece of all of it is that we come before you and say, Lord, I love you. I love you. And, Lord, I'd, I remember. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help me remember when I go home. Help me remember when I go to work. Help me remember everything, clarity. And, Lord, to be able to look before King Agrippa, who has <laughs> our life and death in his hands, and just say, Agrippa, here's who I am. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He sent me to the world to proclaim him and to share him and to see people forgiven of their sins, to turn them from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. This is who I am. This is why I live. This is what it's all about. Lord, help us. To live and to share, and Lord, that's what our homes, our marriages, our family need. Above all else, if we want to do the rest of the world any favor, help us to do ourselves the greatest one and make sure you're on the throne. And fill us, and fill us afresh. We thank you for this time together. We just pray for just uh, our time for a few minutes of break, and then as we look at some more things in the chapter, but strengthen us today. We ask it, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. I see the light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa.
I will keep my heart seeking